0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you belong to the kingdom of God, then I want you to ask yourself the following question as we get ready to jump into God's word. Here's the question. What am I here for? I want you to ask yourself that question. What am I here for? Or even more specifically, what is my purpose? What is my function as a Christian in the world? Am I here to make money? Am I here to start a family? Am I here to realize and accomplish my dreams and my goals? Am I here to help others realize and accomplish their dreams and their goals? Question to ask yourself this morning, what am I here for? That's an important question to ask, and today we're going to be jumping into some of Jesus' clearest teaching on the purpose and function of Christians in the world. So if you're asking yourself that question, what am I here for? And you're thinking to yourself, I'm not really sure. I I think I have an idea, but I'm not quite sure what my purpose is, what my function is here. Jesus is going to bring clarity to us today. So right away, I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 13 to 16. As you're turning there, let me give you a bit of the context of Matthew chapter 5, 13 to, to 16. Our text today is part of Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is really the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who would ever step foot on the face of the earth, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been laying out the qualities and the characteristics of all true citizens of the kingdom of God. He's been laying out the qualities and characteristics of the blessed life, the fulfilled life, the deeper life, the life that has been found in Jesus Christ and part of the kingdom of God. And having just taught us the qualities and the priorities of the kingdom of God and the Christian life in the Beatitudes, Jesus now begins to elaborate on how these characteristics, these qualities of the Christian life, the deeper life, must go on to impact the world around us. And so we need to make no mistake about this, every true follower of Jesus Christ Every true citizen of the kingdom of God must have an impact on the world around them. That our Christianity must be more about me and my little bubble. Our Christian faith must be more than just this church and the bubble of this church. Our Christianity has to be more than just what's going on in the four walls of our home. In fact, Jesus says that going deeper in the Christian life necessitates reaching farther beyond our comfort zone, beyond our direct spheres of influence to reach farther. And so I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 5, 13 to 16. Jesus says this. He says, you are Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, going deeper with Jesus Christ, living the blessed life in Jesus Christ, being part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, it, it means reaching farther. So, this is where we're going to start this morning. I want you to write this down. Reaching farther means this, embracing the call to influence. Reaching farther means embracing the call to influence. On the screen, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. He wrote, the Christian is not someone who lives in isolation. He is in the world, though that he, he is not of it, and he bears a relationship to that world. The Christian is told that he must be otherworldly in his mind and outlook, but that never means that he retires out of the world. In these verses, we are told very clearly the relationship of the Christian to the world in general. What are we here for? Why are we here as representatives of Jesus Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ on the earth? Notice the first part of verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. In verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Now, right away, we need to see that there's a connection between what Jesus has just said in verses 11 to 12 There's a connection to what he's saying to us now in verses 13 and 14. Remember, this is one comprehensive sermon that Jesus preached, this Sermon on the Mount. So I want to show you, verses 10 and 11, how he caps off the Beatitudes on the screen with this. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Verse 11, he said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, On my account. And so, having laid out the hard reality and the true blessing of persecution for all true citizens of the kingdom of God, Jesus now leans in in verses 13 to 16 with an emphatic exhortation that's designed to instill urgency in the people of God for the call that he's placed upon their lives. What is the call? What is the call that he's placing on all true citizens of the kingdom of God? Well, the call is a call to influence. The call is a call to affect people around us. The call is a call to impact people around us. Look at it again in verses 13 and 14. You, he says, are the salt of the earth. You are the light of of the world. Now, it's important to know that one of salt's main functions throughout the centuries has been to function as a preservative. Salt is a preservative. It's been a preservative that's been added to food to protect, to prevent, to slow down decay or spoilage. So when Jesus says to us, you are the salt of the earth, he's announcing that all true followers of Jesus Christ must function as a kind of preservative in the world. It doesn't take you very long to look around at the world and see that the world is spoiling. The world is decaying. It's spoiled because of sin. It's decaying increasingly because of sin. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are here to effect change, to influence the world, to function as a kind of preservative in this spoiling world, a world that has been spoiled by sin. But he says something else to us. Not only are we likened to salt, but notice now verse 14 again, Jesus says something else. He says, you are the light of the world. With this statement comes the reality of the new era, the new covenant that Jesus Christ is introducing, that he is ushering in, and this statement points to prophecy fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Remember, it was the prophet Isaiah who said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And so not only has the light come in the person of Jesus Christ to bring light to a dark world, but Jesus goes a step further and says, now he commissions his people. All the followers of Jesus Christ are commissioned now. Not only is he the light, but we are commissioned as carriers of the light, such that not only does he say, I am the light of the world, but he says, you are the light of the world. That's profound. It's profound. It's a, it's a big deal as we consider God's redemptive plan for the world and our partnership with God in His global purpose to reach the world. But it's a big deal as we also consider just how dark the world is. The world is a dark place. I was reading an article published in the Washington Post it's entitled Think Christianity is Dying. No, it's actually shifting dramatically. Listen listen to some interesting statistics from the article. The article went on to say, The center of Christianity has shifted from the West to the global South. One century ago, 80% of the world's Christians lived in North America and Europe. Today, only 40% of the world's Christians live in North America and Europe. In 1980, more Christians were found in the global south, that's Africa, Asia, and Latin America, than in the north for the first time in 1,000 years. Today, the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone account for one billion people, and one out of four Christians in the world today is an African Asia is also experiencing growth as the world's Christianity center has moved not only south but also east. In the last century, Christianity has grown at twice the rate of the population in Asia. Asia's Christian population of 350 million is projected to grow to 460 million by the year 2025. The article goes on to say the global religious wild card is China. Today, demographers estimate that more Christian believers are found worshiping in China on any given Sunday than in the United States. Now, statistics like these show us a few things. One obvious thing is that the influence of the Christian church where we live seems to be decreasing While the influence of the Christian church and the gospel around the world is rapidly increasing. And this is good news. This means that today the face of Christianity is no longer a Western face. A more accurate reflection of the face of Christianity in the world today would be an African face or an Asian face or a Latin American face. Things have changed. Things have shifted. Now, At least three things happen in my heart when I read about trends like this. I don't know what it does for you, but three things happen in my heart. First, my heart rejoices that the gospel is multiplying and advancing all over the world in some of the hardest areas of the world. Praise the Lord for that. That's good news. Secondly, my heart feels burdened by the ever-increasing secularization of our own country and this part of the world. The, the wholesale decline in churches that exist with a high view of the authority of Scripture. The, whole view, uh, the wholesale decline of uh, churches that exist with a high view of God and His glory. The, the wholesale decline in churches that exist with a passion for, for the mission of Jesus Christ. These are burdening things. These are sad things. This is where we live. But thirdly, my heart is filled with urgency to wholeheartedly embrace the call to influence the world locally and globally. Globally, We as the church in the West have an amazing opportunity to strategically partner with the church in other parts of the world that don't have the abundance of resources that we have. The gospel is multiplying, the gospel is growing, but there is a void in training. We can help, we can be part of that. Help us, Lord, to be part of that. But locally, loved ones, locally, we as the church in the West need to wake up. We need to be awakened out of our slumber locally. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The, the you in the original language, it's, it's emphatic. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you're not salt and light, no one will be. Jesus is saying, that the world is decaying. The world is spoiling. If you don't go, if you don't influence, if you don't impact, no one will. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So here's a question for self-examination for us today. Is our presence where we live is our presence where we live, is your presence where you live making any impact at all for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Just think about it like this. Does the fact that you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, possessing the light of Jesus Christ, is the fact that you live on your street making any difference on that street at all? Any difference? Does the fact that you as a follower of Jesus Christ, possessing the the spirit of God living inside of you, light, salt, and light, when, when you go to the grocery store, does the fact that you are there make any impact there at all? When you you drop off your kids to school, does the fact that you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, possessing the Spirit of God within you, the fact that you are dropping off your kids, the fact that you are there, is that making any difference at all? Is it making any impact? Is there any influence at all? Is there any difference being seen? There must be an impact. What Jesus is saying here is that there must be an influence. There must be something that is seen in your life, in my life, in this church, in my church in Toronto. There must be an impact. And so going deeper means by necessity reaching farther, and reaching farther means embracing the call to influence. I pray that today we embrace the call. We we, we don't sit back and say, no, no, maybe that's for someone else, but we open our arms, we embrace the call. Lord, do that in me. Let me embrace this call to influence. Going deeper means reaching farther. Reaching farther means embracing the call to influence. Secondly, reaching farther means this, avoiding the dangers of ineffectiveness. Avoiding the dangers of ineffectiveness. Notice 13 to 15. In the house, Jesus is warning us here. Jesus is giving us some very practical things here. He's warning us to avoid the dangers of uselessness and ineffectiveness. I am rendered completely ineffective in the world. Write this down. When I'm willfully submitting to sin, okay? How do we guarantee that we can function as ineffective believers in this world? Well, Jesus gives us one way we render ourselves completely ineffective. It's when we willfully submit to sin. It's important to know that the only instance in which salt can lose its taste is when it's been contaminated. When a batch of contaminated salt was found in a first century home, people were careful not to let it land on their garden or their crops because it would destroy all their crops. Instead, what they would do, they would take that batch of contaminated salt to the path, they would throw it onto the path, and people would walk and trample over it under their feet. Why would it be thrown on the path? The, the, The contaminated salt is thrown on the path because the contaminated salt is useless It's ineffective. It no longer serves its purpose, and so it is thrown out to be trampled under people's feet. This is what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is painting a picture for us of the utter devastation of being rendered ineffective as a believer in Jesus Christ in the world. And so, how exactly is it that churches lose their impact in the world? How is it exactly that individual believers lose their influence in the world? Jesus gives us the answer it's contamination. It's contamination by sin, it's compromise, it's compromise with sin, it's playing with sin, it's playing a game. It's is being lulled to sleep, Is letting the affections of the world capture our heart, all the while we're losing sight of the reality of the urgency of the call of God on our lives as Christians, as the church, and I wonder in this room if any of us can relate to that. You've had seasons in your life where there's been something that's drawn your affection and, and there's been a pattern of sin that you've embraced and you've willfully submitted to that and maybe you're in that place right now. And you find your Christian life to be a little bit dull these days. You find, man, it's been a long time since I've served Jesus in any way. It's been a long time since people at work have noticed there's anything different about me. Well, listen, it's probably because you've compromised in some way. And when we compromise with sin, when we willfully submit ourselves to sin, we render ourselves ineffective. We render ourselves useless, and so some of us are doing that, and some of us know that we're doing that today, and could it be that there are believers in this room that have rendered themselves completely useless with regards to the only thing that matters in a room of this size? Yeah. And is it true that Jesus is here with great love and grace and affection for you, saying, stop playing with these things that will never satisfy you. Remember what I've done for you. Remember who I am for you. Remember who I am to you. Maybe today is a beautiful day for people to turn, to repent, and to say, Jesus, I'm deciding to follow you in the true sense of what that means. I'm rendered completely ineffective in the world when I'm willfully submitting to sin, but there's something else. I'm rendered completely ineffective in the world when, write this down, when I'm constantly hiding the light. When I'm constantly hiding the light. Notice verses 14 to 15. Jesus says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Notice, notice Jesus has no problem stating the obvious. Okay, that's what he's doing right here. Because sometimes the most profound realities are simple truths that simply need to be obeyed. And here's the deal, you can't hide a city on a hill. Okay, if a city is on a hill, It is high above everything else. Everyone can see it. It's a contradiction in terms that a city on a hill can be hidden. Jesus is stating the obvious. No one goes to the store to purchase a beautiful lamp, walk it in the house, take off the shade cover and all that stuff and just plug it in the wall, put it on the lamp table, turn it on, and then walk out to the garage and find an old basket or a bucket, and walk back in and put the basket over the lamp. Nobody does that. It's a contradiction in terms. So in other words, Jesus is saying to hide the light of Jesus Christ is to live in a way that is completely contradictory to your design and your purpose as a follower of Jesus Christ in this world world. And I wonder how many of us, I look at my own life so often in seasons in my own life where I have, I've been hiding the light. Maybe, maybe you're there now and and maybe in this room, there are, there are people in this room that they're, you're hiding it for whatever reason. And Jesus would say that's a contradiction in terms if you're a follower of Jesus to hide the light of Jesus because your purpose on the earth is to be salt and light, to be influencers, and you need to avoid the dangers of ineffectiveness. Hiding the light is dangerous because it makes you ineffective as it pertains to your very purpose. Meanwhile... The history books are full of examples of people who have taken the call of Christ very, very seriously. I'm going to show you a picture on the screen of a missionary couple Adoniram and Ann Judson. They were missionaries to India and Burma in the 1800s. I was reading this biography, and my my heart was so gripped by what I read. They sacrificed their entire lives in order to make the light of Jesus Christ known and visible to all, no matter the cost. I just want you to listen to a bit about what I read here. Listen to how their journey began. The biography said, Almost immediately, Adoniram was smitten by Anne's vivacity, charm, and beauty. And a month later, he formally asked her in a letter if she would consent to have him court her. She replied that he must secure her father's permission. So it was July of 1810 that Adoniram sent her father one of the most extraordinary letters from a prospective son-in-law. Listen to what he wrote. He wrote, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want, distress, degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this? For the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from the heathen saved through her means by eternal, from eternal woe and despair? As a father of, of a little girl, that grips me. I would ever get a letter like that for someone who wanted to marry my little girl. Through a series of struggle, her father consented, and Anne agreed to marry Adoniram. They left for India, and their journey was marked with persecution, prison, trauma, illness, and finally death. The biography goes on. Adoniram was imprisoned under horrific conditions. Anne literally saved his life by pleading with government officials to let him live, by taking food to him in the prison, and by relentlessly pressuring the government authorities throughout the course of the war to free him. No sooner, though, than Adoniram was released in 1826, Anne fell sick, exhausted by this time of stress, persecution, and the burden of managing things without her husband's help. She died on October 24, 1826, Her last words being uttered in Burmese, the tongue of the people she had grown to love. Now, as I read things like this, as I read this particular biography, I began to ask myself the question how can we account for such a life of sacrifice? How can we account for such a life? Of loss? How can we account for such a life of saltiness? How can we account for such a life of light? And the clear answer that kept coming to my mind was the only way anyone can live a life of such effectiveness is that if that life is awakened out of its slumber, awakened to the reality that we as Christians have something that the world so desperately needs. The only way we can live lives of such effectiveness is that we as Christians are awakened to the reality that we have experienced something that this world so desperately needs to experience. The only way we can live lives of such effectiveness and usefulness for the kingdom of God is if we as Christians are awakened out of our Western world slumber, awakened to the reality that I was dead and now I'm alive in Jesus Christ. I was lost, but now I'm found by Jesus Christ. I was blind, can't see a thing and now I can see the light of Jesus Christ and he deposits the light in me and he says, now you are the light of the world. The only way we can live lives of such effectiveness is if we are awakened out of our Western world, Disneyland, Christianity, out of that slumber to see what Jesus has really done for me and who Jesus is for me and who he desires to be for countless thousands and millions around the world and in your workplace and at your school and in your job and on your street and in your grocery store and at your gas station. And when your eyes are opened in this way, the subtle conviction of your heart becomes a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. And when you look around the world and you see the darkness prevailing all around you, you won't get down, but you'll get up because just as a city on a hill cannot be hidden and just like people don't light a lamp to put it under a basket, I must share the light of Jesus Christ. I must proclaim boldly the light of Jesus Christ. I must be salt and light in this world and Jesus Christ himself will be with me. That's his promise. That's his promise to us. Remember. But the problem is, loved ones, the problem is so often for the church in the Western world, the problem is for me so often is that I render myself ineffective. Because <coughs> some other affection has captivated my heart and I've set my gaze on it. Some other thing that's nowhere, as gl- no, nowhere near as glorious as Jesus Christ has captured my affection. Go into patterns of willfully submitting to sin, I render myself ineffective or I walk down the path of just feeling ashamed and fearful because maybe I've elevated the opinions of people as opposed to worshiping Jesus. And so some of us are willfully submitting to sin and rendering ourselves ineffective. Some of us are constantly hiding in the light, rendering ourselves ineffective. Jesus has a word for all of us today. He says, I'm with you. Christian life is not easy, I'm with you. You, 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 you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So going deeper means reaching farther. Reaching farther means embracing the call to influence. (coughs) Avoiding the dangers of ineffectiveness, finally this. Reaching farther means getting a vision for the ultimate purpose. Notice verse 16, in the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What's the ultimate purpose here? What is the end game? Well, the end game is the glory of God. It's that people look at your life, they see something that's radically different, they see priorities that are radically different, and Jesus says that people are supernaturally changed because of it. They turn from their idolatry and worship the one true living God. Essentially, Jesus is saying, just like a city on a hill cannot be hidden, and just like no one lights a lamp to put it under a basket, in the same way, he says, now you let your light shine before others so that they would see the light. They would see your good works. And what happens, this is, this is phenomenal, what happens is that they see your good works and something supernatural happens. God uses your life and they turn to desire the the master that you serve and, and they become worshipers of Jesus Christ and they glorify your Father in heaven. Consider that for a moment. Consider that God would so use our lives. Consider that God calls us partners with him in the building of his kingdom. Consider now this week in this church that hundreds of children will flood through these doors and and many more parents will be dropping off their children. Consider this week the opportunity that's before you, Harvest Oakville. Consider it. Consider the opportunities for people to see your good works and glorify God in heaven. Consider the opportunity you have people to walk through the doors and maybe read a passage of scripture that's on the wall and and make a connection with your service and your life and your sacrifice with their children. And, And as parents rush in and rush out all this week, would we be praying perhaps that this church is salt and light and as parents and children come, that they would see the good deeds of Harvest Oakville and they would glorify God in heaven. What an opportunity. But not only this week in this church, but when you leave here today, when you go back to your home, when you interact with people that don't know Jesus Christ, when you interact with people that are maybe hostile to Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus doesn't say that our influence is always going to be received positively, but you got to have an influence. Sometimes people don't like our influence, but Jesus says, but you just keep living the life of a citizen of the kingdom. You be salt and light, and I will see to it that people see your good works and that they glorify my Father in heaven, and through your good deeds, through your Christian conduct, through your Christian character, many can come to know Jesus Christ. That's awesome. That's amazing news. And so here's the exhortation for us today. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Don't leave this place unaffected by what's being said here today. Leave this place with a settled conviction. I must let my light shine. And Jesus himself will do the hard work of drawing people to himself. You represent the kingdom well by letting your light shine and showing everyone how awesome your Savior is really is. I'm going to close with this that I read this week. It was was staggering to me. It's said of Robert Murray McShane, a godly Scottish minister of the last century, that his face carried such a hallowed expression that people were known to fall on their knees and accept Christ as Savior when they looked at him. Others were so attracted by the self-giving beauty and holiness of his life that they found his master irresistible. Wouldn't it be amazing if that could be said of us? That people look at us and they see our good deeds and they find that Jesus Christ is irresistible. Jesus says that's what's going to happen. You let your light shine. Be salt, be light. And God will do the rest. Let's pray. Father, right now I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that your followers, your people in this room would be compelled to live a life of such urgency for the mission of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray they would be compelled, that we would be compelled together, not only in this church, but the church that I'm from and many other churches in this area, in our cities, and in this country and around the world, that we would be resolved to observe the words of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world. Lord, right now I pray for many in this room who have been afraid. Many have been hiding the light because they are afraid. Lord, I pray there's no guilt because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But I pray you would make it clear to them, to us together, that if God is for us, who can be against us? Give us courage for the fearful in the room. Give supernatural courage. You are with us. Some have been ashamed. Lord, I pray that you would help our gaze to be lifted off of our circumstances and placed upon the cross. Lord, help us as we look to the cross of Jesus Christ to see Jesus there who went to a public death for us, who was, sh- who was shamed on our behalf, who received the full weight of the wrath of God on our behalf publicly. And as he did that, he died a brutal death to set us free, help our gaze to be on the cross, help our hearts to be fixed on the power of the cross to then shatter any sense of shame of the cross. And we would be bold And we would be like Paul. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Lord, you have to do that in us. I pray you do that in us in amazing ways, even this week at Harvest Kids Camp. Lord, if there are those who have rendered themselves ineffective because of a willful submission to sin, Lord, would you just cause them to turn right now? Thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us. You don't point your finger at us. You're not condemning us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let this moment be a sweet moment of repentance and turning and empowering so that families, workplaces, schools, cities, provinces, countries are changed for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. If you agree with me, church, say amen. Amen.